something where it's an exercise which we we work on and work on and work on and it it events it has a cumulative effect on us so I'm just going to leave it, but we'll, we'll have a longer conversation, but I think it's important to note some people, myself included, uh, when we're, you know, we, we meditate and we think my, I'm just going to be the most relaxed person today. <sighs> Doesn't work that well. Okay. So let's, uh, but let, well, Estelle, we'll talk later. Thank you for sharing that. I do appreciate it. So let's talk about Parsha's Emor. Uh, it's an interesting Parsha. It's actually, in many respects, it's really the end of Sefer Vayikra. Vayikra is a difficult book, as I know we've all discussed uh, many times. And next, the next Parshios, Bahar, Bechukosai, um, really focus not so much on the Mishkan. We'll have to talk about how Bahar and Bechukosai even relate to the book of Vayikra, but we'll get there. Um, but really, this week's Parsha is the last time we talk about the Kohanim, the last time we talk about the, the Yom Tovim, the, all the Kedusha, all the holiness as it's expressed specifically through the Mishkan, the Kohanim as well. Now, there's a very interesting rule that is listed in this week's Parsha, and that is that we're told that a Kohen who has a physical blemish of sorts um, is disqualified from serving in the Beis HaMikdash or in the Mishkan, which is difficult to understand, troubling, to un- troubling frankly, um, and it's something which we're not going to get a chance to discuss today, but it's something to think about. If you're able to join us tonight, we're not going to have a regular Parsha Shear, but we'll be joined by Cheryl Grossman, uh, who is an activist. Um, for people with disabilities, and she is going to speak to that point and speak a little bit about the work that she does. So I encourage you to join. It's going to be a shorter class at 8 to 8.30, and there'll be a chance to, to hear a little bit about what we could do to help. Uh, but certainly, you know, as a people who look out for all those, especially for people who uh, perhaps are, are held back in certain ways or could be held back in certain ways, it's a very strange thing that the Kohanim are not able to have blemishes. Again, she'll talk about it, and maybe we'll even talk about it on Shabbos. Okay. With that in mind, let's go a little bit further uh, towards, so we're not going to get too, too detailed into that right now, but something to think about, to appreciate, um, and come up with some possible answers before hearing from her, and again, maybe speaking about this on Shabbos as well. Um, at the end, that, uh, let's, let's fast forward a little bit towards the end of the discussion of the Kohanim, we have a reiteration of the laws of Yom Tov, and we specifically talk about what takes place on each of the Yom Tovim. What's interesting is that we are in the book of Vayikra, and throughout Vayikra, whenever we discuss um, holidays, you would imagine, you would expect that the context of the discussion is specifically as it relates to karbanos, sacrifices, offerings, things that were brought in the Mishkan, because that is the main theme of Vayikra. But what's very interesting, as we conclude the book of Vayikra in Parshas Emor, and there is a review of all the holidays, instead of focusing on the offerings, instead the, the focus is on the mitzvot that relate to the holiday, and it's, very, it's a glaring omission, where are the offerings? And so some of the later commentators suggest that perhaps the the message is as follows. Um, Throughout the book of, one could be led to think, and in truth, the Jewish people themselves thought that Judaism revolved around the Mishkan. One of the big, you know, the the background really, the entire Purim story, the Megillus Esther, was the question the Jewish people had after going into exile, after having left Israel, after the base of English being destroyed, is there even such a thing as Judaism? Can we connect to God without that? And this Parsha starts to lay out the framework for an answer because the Parsha in Sefer Vayikra, in the book that speaks about offering, says, no, there's still such a thing as a holiday. There's still a sukkah, even without all those incredible amounts of offerings with a lulav and a esrog and a sukkah. And there's a holiday of Pesach without the Paschal Lamb, without the Karban Pesach, with matzah and mar, etc. Right? And what the, the Torah over here is teaching us, specifically here in the book of offerings, is to say, yes, offerings play a central role in Judaism. But even at a time when offerings will not be able to be brought, there still is a holiday 
And therefore, there still is a connection to God through those holy days. Okay, and that's perhaps why we find a discussion of these, of, of these holidays without the Karbanos. The, I want to just now spend a couple of minutes on the final section of the Parsha. It's a very, very strange section where we find a dispute between two people. Okay, uh, let me just, by way of introduction, it's worth noting that there are, as far as I remember, really two narratives, two stories that take place in the entire book of Ayikra. One is the story, the tragic death of Nadav and Aviyu, and the second one is this, right? Vayikra is not a storybook, right? All the other books have much, many more stories. Vayikra is a book of laws, all about holiness, all about karbanos. And here, and we have the story of Nadav and Aviyu, and we certainly, and for those who join us for, on Shabbos afternoon, we talked about recently what, how their death connected to the themes of the Mishkan. But over here we have, A, it's a story. B, the story doesn't make sense. And C, what does it connect, and in what way does it connect to Vayikra? It's really a story that belongs, would seem to belong in Sefer Bamidbar. So let's, let's just quickly review the story. Uh, these are the details we know. We find two people fighting, okay? And when they, in, in the midst of the fight, one of the individuals goes ahead and he curses God, which is very strange. If you and I are in a fight, we should never curse at each other. But if I were to go ahead and curse, who would I curse? I curse you, right? I would never do that to you. Don't worry. But, but, but right, that's what you do. I'm mad at you. Why is this person cursing God. So that's the question we'll use to begin to address all the questions that we had. So, <clears throat> and I want to share an idea. This idea is, is based on something I heard from Rabbi Eliezer Breidowitz, a teacher of mine in Toronto. And he says like this, he says, you know, one, you know, there, there's a bit of a challenge that we all have people who believe in God. And that is that if God really runs the world, where does that leave any space for my free will? Okay. This is the, this is the age old question. And there's an argument to be made that we don't really have free will, right? A determinist will say we don't have free will because our bodies, you know, because our, everything we're doing, all the, everything is already just simply us responding to different, to the past and to different things in our brain, etc. But from a believing perspective, we could also argue there's no free will because God controls the whole world. Everything happens for a reason, we say, right? Everything is for the good. So that means I, I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong, right? And not only, right, what that means is that if you wronged me, then I'm not mad at you, who am I mad at? I'm mad at God because God runs the world. And so it would seem, or one could argue, that this individual, the reason he cursed God when his friend insulted him and didn't curse his friend, the reason he cursed God is because he believed that at the end of the day, God controls the world. Everything is completely in God ha God's hands. And therefore, we're not responsible whatsoever for our actions. This person who cursed me wasn't him who cursed me. It was God. It was God. And therefore, he's upset at God. Now, obviously, that's faulty thinking, okay? Without addressing the crux of the question, we don't believe that God runs the world that way. We do believe that, yes, on the one hand, God runs the world, and at the same exact time, we are totally responsible for all of our actions. And therefore, when you do something wrong to me, it's actually your fault. You are the one responsible. When I do something to you, I'm the one responsible. I can't blame God and say, hey, this is what God wanted, right? And so, it, actually, if you look at the, at, the, at the section, there's something very strange. Immediately after describing how this person curses God and they put him in jail, etc., etc., we find a listing of laws that seem to not be relevant at all. It's a law, uh, there's a law there that says what's the punishment for someone who curses God. But then it starts talking about if you kill someone, you are responsible. If you hurt someone, you are responsible. What does it have to do with this guy cursing someone? The answer is obvious. The answer is because this person believed that if someone kills someone, they could say, I didn't do it. God did it. 
If I hurt you, I could say God did it, right? And so in, a, in response to this person's faulty thinking, thinking that it's all God's fault, this person, when God tells Moshe what the law is for someone who curses God, God also includes and says, okay, but it's not just about the fact that he cursed God. He completely missed the boat. He completely missed the boat and he thought that he is not responsible for his actions. And to that, God said, no, when you do something wrong, you are completely responsible for what you've done. Now, what does this have to do with Karbanos, right? So we've explained this section intrinsically. The reason he curses God is because he felt anything bad that happens to me is God's fault. And the response to that is no, we are responsible for our actions. What does this have to do with Vayikra? Not just what does it have to do with Vayikra, it is the final section of the book of Vayikra. Again, next week's Parsha is really almost like another book according to some, some Adrashim, right? So what does this have to do with Vayikra? So if we were to look, you know, one of the questions that we addressed when we started the book of Vayikra is what is the theme, what is the function of Karbanos? And we know that many ancient nations, pagan, you know, everyone worshipped uh, you know, everyone brought offerings, everyone brought uh, sacrifices. It was, it was n- the norm in the ancient world. But there's a big difference between the way that uh, some um, groups served with offerings and served their gods and the way that we serve our gods. You know, if you, you, know, for the, if you were to think about Greek mythology for a second, right? What, what happens over there? We have the gods warring and human beings are kind of stuck in the crossfire. Okay, so what do we have to do? We have to appease, uh, we have to appease the gods. We bring them offerings. We beg them, don't take it out on me. You know, just give me some space, right? And, and in, the, in that way of thinking, the goal of sacrifice is a tribute so that the gods don't hurt, harm us, right? Basically, they're in charge. They're running everything. And we're kind of stuck in the middle, right? The gods are running the world. But the story at the end of Ayikra is meant to teach us that that's not our perspective. What happens to us is not because this God is warring with that God and that's why it's raining because they're having some dispute over some, uh, you know, goddess or something of that nature. Rather, what happens to us is a result of our actions. And what that means is that, yes, God runs the world, but our actions affect the way he runs the world. We're not simply trying to appease him. We are at, in some ways at the center of the world and our actions, we are fully responsible not only for the immediate things that we do, but also for the, even, even beyond that. We are placed at the center of the world and our actions have incredible ramifications. Yes, God runs the world, but he runs the world according to the way we act. So this is the diamet- this diametrically opposed to the viewpoint of the man who cursed God. He cursed God and said, God, I don't run anything. I'm, I'm not nobody. You're at fault. And therefore he cursed God. And the response is that no, it's exactly the opposite. We are at the center of the world. I am responsible for my actions, but I also in some ways cause God to act in a certain way because God put me at the center of this world. It speaks to the account. So the, the idea we have to be careful when we bring Carbonos, we're not just trying to pay off God. And one could be led to that mistake. And therefore, the book of Ayikra ends by reminding us of we're not just appeasing the gods. We're not trying to pay the gods off. We are accountable. We are responsible. Yes, God runs the world, but we are accountable, responsible. We bring sacrifices not to appease, but rather karban from the word karav to come close. But at the end of the day, God holds us responsible for all of our actions. And while he runs the world, we are partners in that world that God created. And that perhaps is the meaning behind this final story of Ayikra. Okay, it's a lot to think about, a lot to uh, digest, but that I think is a beautiful and meaningful perspective to, to understand the final section of this Parsha and really the, the, the final section of this book of Vayikra. Okay, have a wonderful day. Have a good Shabbos. Again, please join us tonight at 8. Uh, we'll be joined by Cheryl Grossman, speak about the first part of the Parsha and speak about uh, what we could do to help. Okay, have a great day. Take care.